Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, obviously, we're keeping a close eye on that whole weather situation out there today. It is very cold and very icy out there. So the roads are looking pretty clear. The main roads are, as you heard there in traffic, but the side roads in many communities still super, super icy. Uh, And so just be careful out there. Hopefully traffic will be a little less because it is the Friday. Some people probably working from home today. Uh, So we'll keep you posted on how that goes. But let me know what you see out there too, right? Simi at cknw.com. All right, right now we're going to talk about life, as in how much life is on earth. And when we're talking about life, we're talking about all of it, including all of those living cells that helped to make up early life. How early was that? Well, scientists now estimate that cells first came to exist almost 4 billion years ago. So totaling up, you know, life on earth, well, that is a challenge. Doesn't mean that people aren't going to try though, like Peter Crockford, Assistant Professor of Earth Sciences at Carleton University, who joins us now. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Is it even possible to calculate this? Uh, I would say not until quite recently. Uh, It's been a lot of hard work from a lot of geochemists, earth historians, biologists, uh, trying to reconstruct this biological history of the planet. And so uh, we're living in a really exciting time where we can really investigate our origins with more detail than was ever possible before. And so what are we doing? And are we going backwards to just trace to the point where we can see those cells first came into being? Exactly. So we have estimates of when the first life came to be on the planet. And then we have what we call proxies. So this is maybe geochemical signals that we can find in the rock record that give us a sense of how much uh, primary production was on the planet was just uh, the synthesis of inorganic material to organic material. And we can sort of think of it in the same way as uh, the amount of food that humans consume is sort of a proxy for all the humans on the planet. And we can sort of do the same thing with the microbial world with some of these proxies in the geologic record. And so if we do that consistently through, uh, you know, three and a half billion year old rocks all the way up to the present, we can sort of reconstruct this history. It's like putting together, Peter, a giant jigsaw puzzle. Exactly, exactly. I don't even know where you would start. So so how far <laughs> along are we on this? Well, uh, to date, uh, we've got a number of tools at our disposal, uh, one of which that I uh, tend to use is looking at the oxygen isotopes and old salt deposits. But people have approached this from modeling perspectives uh, and a number of other approaches. And so uh, certainly the numbers that sort of we've come up with recently will be refined in the coming years, but at least we're able to put out some initial estimates, which is quite exciting. What are some of those initial estimates? Well, uh, so if we were to say what has the biosphere actually accomplished, one way that we could measure that is just how much organic mater- how much organic material has been produced by life uh, since the origin of life. And the estimate we came up with is about 100 quintillion tons of carbon. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, basically, that's about 100 times 
the carbon budget of the earth, or if you just want a physical picture of that, that's basically if we converted the whole moon to carbon, that's about how much the biosphere has been able to uh, take in through primary production. It's pretty impressive. I was going to say, that's very visual. And thank you for describing <laughs> it in a way that we can all understand it and we can visualize it that way. So what do we do with this kind of information? Well, I think that it's really interesting to start to set up Earth as sort of a benchmark. So at the moment, we're discovering a whole bunch of exoplanets. You know, when around the time I was born, a lot of these were just a hypothesis. And now there's thousands and thousands of these worlds that uh, every new telescope that comes online, we're able to describe with a little bit more detail. Um, but it's interesting to compare uh, Earth to these uh, exoplanets. And now that we actually have numbers about what the biosphere has been able to accomplish, it sort of sets up Earth as a, a nice place to compare. Uh, so it gets kind of interesting to think of like if larger planets exist out there, water worlds and stuff, how might their biospheric to or total amount of life they're able to house, how does that compare to the Earth's? So is this the kind of information, is this like a, a worldwide, is this a global project that many researchers are working on? Uh, to be honest, this was a... This is sort of a COVID project for me. Um, I was uh, doing my postdoctoral research at the Weizmann Institute uh, in Israel. And uh, once travel stopped, it was sort of putting together a lot of different estimates and uh, sort of finishing up a lot of my own work. But uh, I certainly wouldn't want to give the impression that I, I should take all the credit. It's um, a lot of different people are working on these problems. And uh, the group I was part of is just one of them. Right. And so the, it, to me, it feels like this is a, a library of information, Peter, that anybody can kind of tap into once the work is done. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so how far along would you say you are? Like, how much longer will this take? Uh, well, um, if we project the clock forward, so uh, one of the issues that we just are never, well, we don't have the technology to deal with now, but the sun is slowly getting brighter so if we go back in time, maybe 3 billion years ago, the sun was only about 70% as bright as it is today. Uh, but as we move the clock forward, it's going to continue to get brighter. Now, one of the consequences of that is that it's going to increase climate change on the planet. And of one of the consequences of that is that things like CO2 are going to get drawn down to extremely low levels. And at that point, plants will die off. Uh, eventually the sun will continue to get brighter and the oceans are going to boil and then the microbial life will die off. And it's estimated that those sorts of events are going to happen in the next one to two billion years. So at the year, uh, we could say 7 billion 2024 or something like that, uh, we're going to basically be out of life on the planet. Um, and so you can multiply that forward by taking a look at how life was multiplied in history. Exactly. Exactly. So we can sort of project the modern type biosphere forward until forests, say, die off. And then maybe we go back to uh, a time when we didn't have sort of a terrestrial biosphere, maybe around uh, a billion years ago. And that's going to basically look like the biosphere a billion years from now, interestingly enough. You know, and we can sort of get some crude estimates around this. Peter, when you describe it this way, I mean, it sounds fascinating to me. And I, and I do wonder, though, like, how, how come this hasn't been a, tried before? Uh, well, that's not entirely true. I mean, uh, people have attempted to uh, 
put numbers to some of these pieces of the puzzle over the past uh, uh, several decades. Um, what's really changed now is that we just have so many more tools at our disposal and ways to cross-validate these different things. And even setting dates for when different types of life uh, came to emerge and also proliferate in uh, the past. And so these are quite recent uh, discoveries that have come online in the pa uh, recent years. And so uh, we're just sort of at a lucky time where we can sort of put all this together and come up with some of these uh, big numbers to estimate what the biosphere has really accomplished. Have you come across something that surprised you when you found it? Uh a few things. I would say one of the most surprising things was that uh, when we think of mass extinctions, like the the asteroid uh, that killed the dinosaurs or um, periods of intense volcanism that caused one of the biggest mass extinctions like 250 million years ago, when you take a step back and look at the whole record over maybe uh, over its entire history, these events really are just like a small blip and the biosphere just recovers uh, and maybe one can even make an argument that the stress induced by these events ultimately leads to innovation, which in the long term actually increases the amount of life on the planet. So that was sort of an interesting outcome of this work. This is really fascinating stuff. And Peter, and you're thinking, wow, look at I got started because of COVID. I needed something to do. It's really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. That's Peter Crockford, Assistant Professor of Earth Sciences, Carleton University. What Peter's project is that he's trying to actually put a number on how much life has existed on Earth in terms of living cells in the quintillions, as he told us, and really was not able to do that with the kind of computing power until recently. Uh, but it is a fascinating, fascinating project.